It's Picture Lock on W-E-R-A-L-P Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world famous award winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. I'm really excited to get back to bringing you interviews from indie filmmakers after the holiday break and countdown episodes. Today, I'm joined by writer, director, producer Marianne Hettinger of the film Prince Harming and writer, director, producer of the documentary Heat, A Kitchen Revolution, Maya Gallus. I had a great time talking with both of these female filmmakers who've created important films with a message sprinkled with a little entertainment. See what I did there, Maya? Sprinkled Heat Kitchen. Okay. <laughs> Plus, I have a picture like question of the week from last week. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hey, this is Thomas DeBus, founder of Smart Film Fest. Uh, You're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and in the film Prince Harming, an immigrant woman in New York falls in love with an Olympic skier she idolized as a teenager who takes her down some very slippery slopes. I have the film's writer, director, producer on the line with me, Marianne Hettinger, Marianne, welcome to Picture Lock. Well, thank you, Kevin. I'm very happy to be here <laughs> and excited to be talking with you. <laughs> I'm happy to have you. Um, I'm looking forward to cracking into this because you also starred in the film. But Marianne, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? I was five years old. I'm originally from Germany, and my parents wouldn't let me stay up to watch a movie by Gene Kelly, which is called uh, An American in Paris. So I climbed out of the window, and uh, our, our uh, house sitter, uh, babysitter, she was watching the movie, and I watched from outside, and I begged her what? to record the sound. <laughs> so I watched only the picture, and I fell in love with Gene Kelly and film. I didn't really watch, uh, uh, grow up uh, watching television. We were not allowed because we were so supposed to be just listening to classical music. And so that was the first movie I ever saw. And I saw the joy, the dancing, the, the music, uh, the beauty of film. And then she gave me a tape recorder. After I had watched the film, I listened to it under the blanket and listened to the sound and tried to put together the sound and the film. And this is how you make film. You have to, of course, record the sound separate from the picture, except hopefully it happens at the same time. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And then I said, I want to be like Gene Kelly. He made his own films. He dances, he acts. Uh, he, he was also a filmmaker, director. So that, and then I said, wait, I'm a woman. Can I do this as a woman? And uh, then I said, oh, in America, maybe in America you can do this. So I had this, uh, this wish, this dream that I come to America and be an actor, dancer, and filmmaker. So I started off as a dancer and actor at the National Shakespeare Conservatory in New York and studied at Alvin Ailey and Steps on Broadway, got scholarships. And then always was writing. And then in my later years, <laughs> I started making movies <laughs> and putting all this together. And I always have some type of dance in my movies because I just love that. Man, so that was uh, where it came, the, the, when I first saw it. Yeah. If you could only see me right now, I'm like looking at the microphone as though I'm looking at you <laughs> with like the bug eyes because we have to go back. 
Like, I thought I was gangster by, like, sneaking down the steps to watch the Cosby show when my parents said not oh. to. You snuck out of a window and watched the entire film yeah. outside at five years old? And it was really cold out. And I told her, don't tell anyone. Maybe I was five and a half. I was almost six. Oh, my goodness. Well, I have a six-year-old daughter, and I just can't imagine the dedication of sitting outside. Wow. Wow. My. Uh, yeah. I was never allowed to watch television. Only half an hour a week. Wow. And, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Very different upbringing. Well, no, no uh yeah, <laughs> I gotta say this has been this has been one of the best. Uh, when did you first fall in love? Stories that uh, you know it's got to be up there in the top five on, on picture lock right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, all right. You know, you never you never lose. Uh, you know, you keep your dream going. <laughs> right. So exactly. So, so you did kind of get into, uh, you know, your breaking in story in regard to coming from Germany to the States and studying dancing, Alvin Ailey, okay. You know, you're steadily, steadily the feathers in your cap, for me at least, are, are, are really getting full. Um, but, you know, how did you transition into actually making films? In 2001, I, uh, I've always been writing. I went to a little island off the coast of uh, Maine and wasn't in Maine somewhere there anyway and I had a little camera no actually it started before that I was in Central Park and there was a man playing the violin he was singing in a, in a, a counter tenor voice he was rattling bells on his feet and I was uh, I was just it was breathtaking I was amazed and I said I gotta make a film about that guy who has his own one man show opera so I bought a, a camera with my last money as a dancer. I didn't have much money. And I asked him if I could interview him and film him in the Angel Tunnel in uh, Central Park. And he said yes. So I started making this film. But it was 2001. I didn't have the means of editing and everything. So I started. I had all this great material. And I said, one day I will make a film out of it. Two years later, uh, uh, a woman made a film about him and won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> for short film what? Short subjects. but uh, but this was my first like instinct oh my god this man moved me so much his name is sk Thoth, and now he has a band called tribal baroque and i still follow them and they're very inspiring so that that inspired me to actually take a camera in my hands and tell a story which was documentary and then after that i went to this little island and we made for six dollars 95 cents uh, a film that we edited on camera, just a very silly relationship story, uh, relationship gone wrong, which is uh, one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> which brings like us to today's film, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's when it started. Like also the humor in it, you know, what makes uh, couples tick, the dynamics. Uh, so that was my first 11-minute uh, film. But from there, I, in 2009, I made my first feature film called Mango Tango. And I had already a little bit of experience. And I wrote it, directed, once again, acted in it. And it's, it's actually uh, on Amazon and like 11 different platforms for sale. That was my first feature film. And I had a lot of support for that one. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the writer, director, star of Prince Harming. 
Marianne Hedinger. Marianne, I, I love how uh, life's journey has brought you to this point of telling the story of Prince Harming, but obviously there's so many different things that you love about life and that you've experienced in particular that mm. brings us to this story and that you're able to infuse into the story. So if you could, in your own words for the audience, what is this film about? Uh, the film is about a woman who falls in love. She's an immigrant woman in New York, and she comes across her childhood idol, who was an Olympic uh, ski jumper. And they fall in love at first sight, and she used to have his poster on the wall. And uh, it shows the journey, how she is blinded sort of by her personal projections. She thinks he's, he's wonderful, he's intimate, he loves me, and they feel like they're soulmates. And there's tiny little warning signs. So throughout the journey, you see, okay, there's a warning sign. And her friends see that she's on a bad path, that this man is really not who he says he is, and then it turns actually into a story of uh, uh, relationship abuse. And she finds herself rock bottom. And where's her rock bottom? And is she going to get out of it? And this happens a lot in life uh, that we fall. And it's not just women. Men can also be in abusive situations. You fall in love with someone uh, very quickly. <laughs> Everything is wonderful. They seem like they're your soulmate. And then you find that you've married or you're in a relationship with someone who is a totally different person than you thought. They actually were calculating because this guy came to New York to have a boost to his career. He's like a has-been in Europe. And he finds this woman as easy prey. He does feel attracted to her, but he uses her to get his green card to, uh, and he's a sociopath. He doesn't have any empathy. So you see this dynamic growing, you know, where is this, uh, and she fights herself all the way to the bottom. Marianne, and I wanted to, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, I just want, I'm interested in, you know, why did you feel it was important to tell this story, especially our current social climate with the Me Too movement? And um, as you said, I mean, this definitely happens with women and, and men as well. Why did you find it important to tell this story? Uh, I've always been very interested. Uh, I, as a teenager, I was in an abusive relationship, and I said, this will never happen again. So I even started going to support groups and helping other women in domestic violence situations throughout my life. And I've helped a few, and uh, I studied uh, psychology and very interested in this subject. How does a woman who is not a victim stay in that relationship, and uh, what does it take for her to get out of it? Uh, then I got married to someone and unfortunately it turned out to be a bad situation. And I was like, Oh my God, I am a mature woman. And it happened to me. If it happens to me, it can happen to anyone. So in 2013, as I was going through a divorce, I started writing this script. Um, so that was before the me too movement even. And it's just a story that's been in me for much longer than that. But it was more current because I said, oh, my God, it can happen to someone who's over 40, you know. Right. Um, yeah. You so know, that's basically what's the trigger point. And also there's some humor in it. It's not just like, oh, this woman is being beaten up. And uh, it really <laughs> shows someone who's 
who's who's strong, who knows herself, who loves life, and <clears throat> falls in love with this guy, and she's so happy. And then slowly, slowly, you know, you see the the how it's going down. The relationship goes from bad to worse, even. Yeah, you know, uh, first off, I appreciate your openness and vulnerability and sharing that with us. Um, and, and now you have something that you can share with the world that I'm sure people can see themselves in, um, which which is something that's it's really important, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. you can feel like, as you said, hey, I'm over 40 and this happened to me. How could this happen? And ah, I was so stupid or whatever the case may be. But, you know, sometimes it's just mm-hmm. not your fault, right? Um, so... If folks want to check out this film, I know that you are hitting the festival circuit now. Um, how can they follow you on social media and actually, find out? Yeah, actually, we just started uh, the festival circuit. Uh, we've been selected by five festivals. We've won two. And this week on Friday, we have the world premiere at a live screening at the Big Apple Women's Film Festival. So this is just the beginning. <laughs> and it will uh, still go on probably till August or so. And then we're going to go into distribution, you know, so everyone can see the film. Uh, they can see me on, I have a Facebook group, uh, Facebook uh, Prince Harming, without the C, Prince Harming movie if you just google it on facebook and then we are on twitter prince harming movie and then we're also on instagram uh so they can just google prince harming movie and it will all pop up (laughs) right and folks just if you're listening to make sure it's not without the c in prince it's without the c in charming so prince Harming. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> just want to make sure people aren't yeah. like crying, <laughs> ha- harming. What's going on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> because charming will show up. Right. Charming at first. Yeah. <laughs> well, Marianne, it's been great talking to you. We're going to talk uh, in the after show segment. But thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Picture Lock question of the week last week. Which anniversary film should we celebrate for this year's DC Black Film Festival? The Best Man, Crooklyn, Do the Right Thing, Surviving the Game, Glory, The Hurricane, or Above the Rim? On Instagram, at one Dr. Mom said, hashtag do the right thing, hashtag a Spike Lee joint. At the Family Man 06 said, since it's the 30th anniversary of its release, I gotta go with Do the Right Thing. At Cyrus X Realtor said, do the right thing. At Shelly Calm said, <laughs> surviving the game is great. I didn't know it was considered a classic, LOL. Which, of course, I explained how I thought it was a classic. And we, you guys don't need to know all the rest of that. But, it, you know, surviving the game with Ice-T, you got to go check it out. <laughs> At Rhett Butler said, was leaning towards Crooklyn. But since it's the 30th anniversary, got to go with do the right thing. Thanks, everyone, for weighing in on last week's question of the week that people really spoke, even on DCBFF's Instagram page. Uh, I've got one call in that I'll play momentarily, but picture lot question of the week this week. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Like, what's the worst movie? Just the one that you're like, ah, that was horrible. Call 202-350-1351 and leave a 60-second or less voicemail or leave a comment via Picture Lock social media and I'll play or read it on next week's show. One quick sidebar, I'm going to be in Sundance this year, so if you are going to Sundance, you're a listener of the show, 
hit me up on social media at Picture Lock Show. And uh, I would love to meet up with some of the listeners of the show. Uh, again, Sundance, this first week, if you're there, holla at your boy. <laughs> I'd love to hear from you. For now, let's get into this call in and then back into my interview with Maya Gallus. Hi, my name is Jennifer and I'm calling from Fort Meade. And I definitely believe that we should be celebrating uh, Do the Right Thing because we are in its 30th anniversary. And also, I also believe that um, being in the politi- political climate that we are in, uh, it would be do, it would be a nice comparison to see of how far we've come as people from 1989 till now. And most definitely, we need to celebrate uh, Spike Lee and discuss about his growth as a producer um, of, of filmmaking and being director uh, for the past 30 years. So that's my answer right there. Hey everybody, it's Dan Brawley, the Chief NCAA Officer at the Kukaloris Festival, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock, I'm Kevin Sampson, and it takes a bold personality to ascend the ranks of the male-dominated restaurant industry. We're able to meet seven female chefs at the vanguard of change in the documentary The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution. I have the film's writer, director, producer on the line with me, Maya Gallus. Welcome to Picture Lock. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Maya, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Uh, Wow. Well, I really uh, fell in love with film at an early age. Uh, My mother loved movies, and um, I remember my first cinematic experience that I recall is that she took us to a Betty Davis retrospective at the local university, and, you know, I mean, I just love Betty Davis. Anything with Betty Davis in it, now Voyager, you know, All About Eve. Mm-hmm. So I was just completely blown away by this powerhouse of this actor, this woman. And I always loved um, that period of films with these strong, strong sort of kick-ass women like Barbara Stanwyck and Joan Crawford. And um, so that was my first uh, first taste. And um I always had a love for, for narrative film and then fell into documentary, really, um, just sort of by happenstance. So the first film that I made was a hybrid documentary drama about um, a writer named Elizabeth Smart who had written this uh, prose poem about obsessive love called By Grand Central Station. I sat down and wept, and she really... Uh, had this huge following from every decade she would she wrote it in the 40s but every decade the um, her following would be revived by women who you know saw her as this kind of Sylvia Plath icon who gave everything to love and wrote about love and was destroyed by love and um, it was as a result of making that film that I really became uh, enamored with documentary and started to discover um, documentary filmmakers like Errol Morris and Donald Britton, Michael Moore, uh, Barbara Koppel, and, um, and then sort of went from there. Maya, one question, you know, you, you, all, you started Red Queen. If you could let us know a little bit about Red Queen, and then let's move into uh, The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution. Okay, great. Yeah, so um, I started uh, Red Queen Productions with my partner in life and art, Justine Pimlot, about 10 years ago. Our, our first... Um, uh, work out of the gate was a series on women's boxing called uh, Punch Like a Girl. And um, we actually followed that up uh, many years later with a film about women's roller derby called Derby Crazy Love. 
and uh, in between uh, continued to make films about uh, women and uh, social issues. And um, Red Queen's most recent offering, which is um, uh, at festivals and in theaters now, is The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution. So I, I definitely see a through line of your work. Um, if you could, uh, in your own words, what is this documentary about and why did you find it important to tell this story? Right, yeah. Well, The, the Heat is a celebration of female chefs. Uh, and I really wanted to uh, look at uh, women working in the culinary industry as chefs from from grassroots to haute cuisine. So um, on, on the one end, uh, it features Michelin-starred chefs like Anne-Sophie Peak in France, who is one of a handful of um, women in the world with three or more Michelin stars. Also, the film features Angela Hartnett um, in London, who was a protege of uh, Gordon Ramsay and the first woman to, quote-unquote, survive his kitchen. Uh, and then um, some American chefs, Anita Lowe in New York, who is a celebrated uh, chef, Amanda Cohen, who um, has a very popular um, vegetable forward, vegetable-based restaurant uh, in New York called Dirt Candy, uh, Victoria Blamey, who is a rising star, and other rising stars like Charlotte Langley and Suzanne Barr in Toronto. So, uh, I, as I say, I really wanted to look at the range. So not everyone is um, at a Michelin level. Some of the women have smaller restaurants. And the reason for that is because the reality is that women chefs are not, um, are not frequently celebrated in, in the industry. And uh, there are many many reasons for that, but one of them is because women don't get the financing and often uh, will run uh, smaller mom-and-pop restaurants, and those are not the sexy, glamorous restaurants that get written about. And that <laughs> is changing. You know, that is changing, and it's, um, it's changing for a lot of reasons. The film uh, has coincided. It just preceded the um, emergence of the Me Too movement and Time's Up, but it really has coincided with... Uh, an interest now in which uh, people are looking at uh, at male-dominated professions and looking at women's work and looking at why we're not talking about women and celebrating women. And, of course, the irony uh, with the heat is that um, women have been cooking forever. We all remember our mothers and grandmothers cooking, and women fought to get out of the kitchen, and um, now women are um, striving to uh, get recognition for their work. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm talking with the writer, director, producer of The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution, Maya Gallus. Maya, um, one of the things that I love, a quote from the film, is that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, whenever um, you talk to male chefs and you talk about, you know, them, and kind of like my first question, when did you first fall in love with film? Um, you know, when they talk about food, they always talk about, oh, my, my grandmother used to make this dish or my mom used to make this dish. And so one of the female chefs is just saying, you know, <laughs> it's always the woman that, you know, kind of sets these guys off on their path. Um, and so if you could, like, why, why do you think that a lot of these chefs, and I know you just kind of talked about financially and things like that, but why do you think they're not getting the love that they deserve? Is this like a system? systemic thing? Is it one of those things where, you know, as it said, um, men cook for glory and women cook for love. And so maybe male, you know, chefs, they just kind of want to do this for uh, that sense of, 
you know, I am somebody, look at me, and willing to kind of put it out there versus, you know, women just love doing it, but they don't really have that cutthroat in the kitchen kind of attitude. Although in the trailer, it did seem like some of the female chefs definitely don't take, uh, you know, any mess. But what do you think this issue is? Yeah, I, I think that's a good question because I think it's all of the above. And, you know, there, there are many, many issues at play here um, in, in terms of, you know, these are badass women. And, and there's no question that the women who succeed in the culinary industry are strong, powerful women who don't take, um, well, I, I won't swear, <laughs> but who, who don't take any, any, you know, any guff, let's just say that. And so there, there is certainly a resilience that is required. It's a tough profession. It's a tough profession for everyone. The hours are brutal. The conditions are really hard. It's, you know, you're often um, sweating in a very hot, not air-conditioned kitchen. There's frequently substance abuse. And, uh, so, and it's not a, a profession that is conducive to, um, to having a life, any kind of balance outside of the kitchen. And much of that world has been glorified. Um, particularly, you know, the public and the media perhaps are, are in love with, you know, the tattooed sort of pirate image of the chefs and certainly um, the late Anthony Bourdain with his um, really interesting book, Kitchen Confidential, was part of glorifying that kind of rock and roll badass um, per- persona of the chef. So, you know, women chefs are not seen as as that kind of badass pirate uh, tattooed, although, of course, there are many, many women who, um, who do have that persona, and a lot, you see a lot of tattoos right. in the industry. Um, but, you know, there, there's also questions about uh, how people are treated um, and the hierarchy, and, um, you know, there are different... Um, there, there are different... Uh, perspectives definitely men are more accustomed to dominating and self-promoting and um you know there was a uh, a local restaurant critic who labeled uh the work of male chefs as egotarian cuisine you know he beating the chest and look at me look at me whereas women um are, are quietly doing the work obviously that's changing and uh um, and, 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 you know, that has a lot to do, it is systemic, it has a lot to do with socialization and how, how um, on a very binary basic level, uh, women and men are socialized. You know, women are not socialized to uh, self-promote or take up their space. Women are supposed to be nurturing, women are supposed to be um, kinder and gentler and all those things that are consistent with the mother and the grandmother image, but um, they're, not, they're not supposed to be taking over and um, running huge corporations. We, we also live in a culture that doesn't really um, promote giving money to women, supporting women financially in business ventures, and we know that from many male-dominated professions, not just the culinary industry. You know, we know that. I mean, there are a lot of parallels with the film industry, uh, with the tech industries, with um, engineering. So it's really a systemic issue across the board. And, and it's not just about women. It's about a hierarchy. It's about people who are conventionally marginalized. It's mm-hmm. about people of color. It's about people, queer people. It's about people who, who, who don't fit into the mainstream. So really what, what I'm excited about seeing that's happening on a global level is that People are ready to listen now. People are interested in change, 
and supporting change and, um, you know, getting woke, as they say. (laughs) 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 Oh, I love it. Maya, (laughs) getting woke. You're right. Uh, Maya, if folks want to get woke and uh, check out the documentary, The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution, how can they follow you guys on social media and find the film online? Well, so our... um, our hashtag is the heat doc and uh you can follow the heat doc on instagram and on facebook and in terms of red queen productions on twitter it's um at at red queen rules and um actually this is um perfect timing because uh we're going to um itunes and amazon is going to be available on february 5th it's available for pre-sale right now on itunes and we're showing in um select cinemas across the U.S. beginning January 19th in Chicago, Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids, in Chicago, Grand Rapids, Harrisburg. Um, I'm very excited because uh, they just announced uh, that um, The Heat is opening the prestigious culinary cinema program at the Berlin Film Festival. Oh, awesome. So we're going to be um, opening the culinary cinema on February 10th in Berlin. Very excited about that. Congratulations on that, Maya, writer, director, producer of The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution. Uh, Maya Gallus, thanks for joining me on Picture Lock. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Marianne Hettinger and Maya Gallus, for coming on the show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcasts, so you can catch those unlocked versions of the show, as well as the Picture Lock PR After Show. I will have a PR After Show with Marianne Hettinger on this Monday, so you definitely want to subscribe so you can hear what we talked about. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock Podcast, and I'll come right up. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. You're supporting the filmmakers and guests I have on the show by allowing more people to be exposed to the podcast. It's quick, easy, and free, and I really appreciate it. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picture lock show and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by Mike S, the producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S, the producer, numeral one, numeral three. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson. And until next time, I hope you stay locked on film.